Hey, everyone. As you know, it is Wednesday morning and we have Anna Kelly with us. How are you doing, Anna? I'm great today, Michael. How are you? Excellent. So as we talked at the end of episode one, let's talk about the proposal to take the federal minimum wage, uh, I don't know, rate or salary from, I think it's 750 today, all the way to 15 bucks. When you read that as one of the proposals, again, it's a proposal, not legislation. What was kind of your first take? My first take was it is not a good idea. And although I want to say that I understand poverty, I grew up in poverty, I grew up in Section 8 housing, I have compassion for people that don't make enough money. I also understand that there's a lot more to it than let's just give everybody and you know double their salary and everything's going to be hunky-dory. The reality is that these policies that are meant to help those that are poor end up hurting them worse than if you didn't do it. And the reason for that, Michael, is the cost of labor impacts jobs. It impacts employers' ability to cover the cost of that labor with the incremental profit that they make from the cost of their goods. And if they can't raise prices on their goods significantly enough to cover the increased cost of labor, what are they going to do? They're going to cut labor. And so then you end up with much higher unemployment because the companies can't afford to hire as many people when they're literally doubling their cost of employment. So if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's for $7.50 an hour, okay, and you go to $15 an hour, you either cut your people, you automate and cut more people, or you significantly raise the cost of your burgers, your fries, and your shakes. Well, people that are, that are buying food at McDonald's aren't going to pay double what they do. They're not going to go 100% inflation to double the cost of what they need for labor. So they're going to buy less. The companies are going to now have higher overhead and make less money, and they're going to start laying off the people that this is designed to help. So to me, it's disastrous to double the minimum wage um, across the country, and, and it, it doesn't have enough safeguards to keep that from happening. Yeah. So one of the things, so again, I don't know if we've spoke about it, but I studied economics in school. Um, I think every economist kind of has their favorite thing. And I've always been a demand pull economist, right? That's why I always follow the consumer. What we're really talking about here is without question, cost push, right? And basically you're taking one of the largest inputs to a company, labor, and you're pushing it up. And that's going to have lots of ripple effects throughout this. And I, you know, I think one of the things you would see very quickly is companies like McDonald's, right? The people who can invest in technology. McDonald's already has kiosks to order. So they need yeah. less people at the register, for example. Yeah. They'll just continue to automate. Pretty soon, you know, where a, a, a local McDonald's, right? So I worked fast food way back when as my first job as a teenager. I think at that, it was a wiener schnitzel, right? Hot dogs. I think when we looked at the employee schedule, I bet we had 24 employees for the week, right? They all had different schedules. And I think there was 24 people, right? Cooks, cashier, like a manager, right? 24 people. You're going to very quickly get to a point where, you know, they're six, seven, eight people. And oh, by the way, they'll be hirely, they'll be paid more, right? Because they'll be, have to understand the software that goes into the robots. They'll have to do the maintenance, all of those things. So they'll make more money. There'll just be a lot less of them. And oh, by the way, the minimum wage earner, those people that are fixing the robots, they're not going to make minimum wage. They're going to make probably two, three X that. There right. won't be a minimum wage person there to kind of have that job. That's, that's, that's cost push in its, at its core. 
Exactly. And, and even the people that are making more money now, their cost of the things that they buy are all going to go up. So when you have more people making more money, the cost of everything has to go up. So now we, we take McDonald's and we multiply that across every grocery store, um, every shopping mall, you know, little boutique stores, every place that has people on minimum wage, which is a lot of our country, mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. has to significantly raise their prices. And so if you don't already have a lot of money, your cost of living is going way up to meet that same cost of labor. And people that are at that, that um, income level aren't going to keep spending on those things. They just, they can't. And so they're going to be laid off and they're not going to be able to, it's going to become less affordable for them than more, I believe, if they double, because that's yeah. a significant stretch. Oh, in yeah. minimum yeah. Doubling is. In, in, well, the other, there, there are two other high. things that are reality. I both, both, I think, well, one, we talked about unemployment. I think the other thing that's not, that's gone said, but not clearly is inflation goes up. Right. It may not go up to hundred percent, but it'll go up, I don't know, 10, 12, 15% over a couple of years. Because again, you can't squeeze margins all that much. You know, you, you've got to have a trade-off. And the other thing is a landlord, right? If you're in the part of the country where minimum wage is 750 and it goes to 15, I can guarantee you, your rents are going up. For sure. I mean, why not, sure. right? <laughs> you, right. Your, your tenants go from making 15K a year, roughly, to making 30K a year. There's not more housing out there. Right. There, there's not suddenly magically more units. Right. So the units that are there can demand a higher rate. Yeah. And that's what we hope for. The one thing when we talk about surprises, which is what we're doing on this episode, mm-hmm. the one thing that could make it horrendous for landlords is if the federal government also comes in and says, now there's also national rent caps. <laughs> so by yes. the way, that would we're going to give people more money, kind of like they did before, and then you don't have to pay rent or your mortgage. Yep. It yep. wouldn't surprise me seeing the crazy things we're seeing for them to go, we're giving them higher minimum wage. And oh, by the way, you can't raise your rents more than three or 5% per year. That would be disastrous. And that would cause a major decline in the housing market um, pretty quickly. So play that out. Why do you think it would be a housing decline? Because if I can't, as a landlord, raise rents to cover my expenses, got it. then my, my profit goes down significantly and it becomes no longer worth it in certain circumstances and certain markets yep. to handle the headaches of owning property when I can't control my profitability. Mm-hmm. So part of the beauty of single family, multifamily, any of it is I can cut my expenses and I can raise my rent so that I have profit. And nationally, the average landlord, Michael, only makes nine cents profit for every dollar that we receive. Mm-hmm. So 9%. If I can't rate, if my cost of, of my expenses go up 5% and I can't raise my income 5%, then I'm going down below 9% profit. Mm-hmm. And that's just not very good. And so given all the things we're seeing that are, we're putting it, we're, we're putting in suggestions to help deal with an affordability crisis. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if what they've been doing at state levels, the federal government tries to come in and institute and a lot of landlords would say, hey, it's already a lot of work and a lot of headache. Now we've got eviction moratoriums where we can't keep, kick people out that aren't paying. And oh, by the way, now I can't even raise my rents. For 9%, there's other things you can invest in where some landlords are going to be like, I'm out. 
And if that happens, and then other things happen like capital gains rate raises and, and income tax rate raises, I think you see a lot of people trying to sell to get out because um, they're fearful when all these things happen mm -hmm. that are massive change. And after the initial absorption, I think that drives down values. Yeah, I just wanted to put that on record. I think I see it as well. I mean, again, we're getting to a point where frustrated landlords have already had a rough year. 2020 was really good for very few. Uh, this goes on more and they just keep compounding the changes. Yeah, it's gonna be like, I'm out. Yep. And more importantly, we're not gonna be bringing in the new people, right? That's, that's what makes this go, right? Anytime there's a seller, there's a buyer, right? That's what makes a market. And if you have a bunch of frustrated landlords list at one time and there's no buyers, whew, watch yeah. out prices, right? Right, right. So I think that that's a, I think legislative risk, Michael, in the next couple of years is the largest risk that we have as landlords, much more than any of these other risks that are kind of traditional market risk, pricing risk, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, the, the um, legislative risk that we, that is really kind of the red herring that we don't know that could really impact us if we're not prepared for it. Totally agree. Totally agree. Any closing thoughts on this one? I thought we covered it pretty well. Yeah, I just think, you know, and in, in everything, the reason we do these videos isn't to create fear, but to help you to think about the risks and to figure out how to mitigate them in your portfolio so that they don't take you surprise, by surprise if they do happen and that you start really watching the economy and watching these legislative changes to understand how it might impact your portfolio to make you a much better and wiser investor. Very well said. On to episode number three.